All right, well, hey, go ahead if you have your Bible and turn to a book in the New Testament called Philemon or Philemon or whatever you guys have called Philemon, whatever you guys have called it throughout the years. I'm just going to say Philemon today, and we're going to just have to deal with that and live with that. Um, this is a very uh, short book. Um, further into the New Testament, as you get deeper into the New Testament, you'll, you'll run into it. Um, and the big idea that we're going to be dealing with in the next two weeks, the short series, is basically living out the love of Christ that lives in us in regards to love and reconciliation. All right, so we're going to be dealing with both of those themes. This week, we're going to be talking about love, the love of Christ in us and through us. And the next week, we're going to be hitting reconciliation and forgiveness, which is basically the forgiveness and reconciliation of Christ that's in us and that goes through us. So what we want to center in on basically as a bigger theme over the next two weeks in Philemon is what's called gospel transformation. We use that word gospel a lot, and that's where we're going to be heading the next two weeks is gospel transformation. The big idea with that is the love and reconciliation that exists in you and through you as someone who has been loved and reconciled by God. So all that, all that love and reconciliation in you didn't just get there magically, all right? That is something that happened to you by God through Christ. So in other words, when God called you to regeneration, when he took your dead heart that you were born with and he made it alive in Christ, which led to repentance and faith in Jesus, he so radically re-engineered your inner being that two of the evidences that come out of that inner overhaul, all right, are love and reconciliation. And so the result of this gospel transformation means that you will leave a footprint of what God has already imprinted you through Jesus. All right. So here's, here's kind of an example. Where's the, where's my boy, Miles Robbins, Miles Robbins, the bearded bloke right here in the second row who runs our pour over station uh, in the cafe and who, by the way, I would give the shirt off my back to, all right. Um, well, this brother recently repainted the floors in our kitchen. And I'm talking, these things now are bright white. So you have these bright white floors. I mean, it's bright white. It's, it's close encounters, like, like alien abduction level, like bright, you know, in our kitchen. That's what's going on right now. The problem, all right, is that if I don't take my shoes off, which only happens four times a day, um, I track something not white all over those white floors, right? And of course, you know, Melissa is so gracious, she just mops it up and then we embrace and kiss. That's what happens after that. Just pausing right now. The point is that my shoes, and I have a lot of shoes, they reflect the footprint of where I've been. So whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, our lives reflect the footprint of where and who We've been walking with people who are walking with Jesus regularly engaged in his word in close fellowship and relationship with other believers and being humble and transparent about their sin. Those people leave a footprint that's not incredibly hard to spot. We know those people. The reverse happens to be true, too. That's kind of one of the scary parts. And listen, I'm not talking about a personality thing here either, because some of you, as I'm saying this, you're starting to get that nervous, sick feeling in your stomach thinking, Ronnie, I happen to be on the quiet side. 
All right. You're talking about footprint. Now you're talking about living the love of Christ. You know, something that's supposed to come out of us. But I tend to be a little personality wise, a little on the quiet side. And now I feel like unless I do like some interpretive dance routine about my relationship with Christ, you're saying I'm not reflecting the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. Although uh, it would give me great joy to see you guys attempt that if anybody wants to do that, to be honest with you. This is about what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew 5 when he said this. He said, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. All right. So God has gifted us differently. He's all given us different things. Not everybody is the apostle Paul. Not everybody is mother Teresa. All right. Not everybody is Billy Graham. Not everybody is Martin Luther, a wise, cracking, short-tempered, foul-mouthed, beer-drinking German monk who did an episode of Punked on the Roman Catholic Church. That's not all of you. That's not me. That's not me either. Those are rare examples of an incredible amount of visual and vivid gospel transformation that few will duplicate. But here's the thing. God's gifted us differently, but he has given us the same love and faith that works through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so let me go to Romans chapter 5. You stay in, uh, in uh, Philemon, or whatever we're going to call it today, Philemon. Let me read you something out of Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, and it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says to the Romans, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Why are all those things true for us? Well, he says it right here. I'm glad you asked. He said, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in Christ now, we have something that's been given to us that's also growing in us. And he's given us all something different, right? He's given us all a different context of which to live that out. He's given us a different mission field. But your life should still resemble the fruit of God's spirit that's been poured into you by Christ's love. All right? So what we're going to do is we're going to dive into Paul's letter to Philemon And what we're going to see here is how he encouraged this brother to apply the love and the reconciliation that he had in Christ. So let's just pick up right at the beginning, Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter, verse 1. It says this, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop right there for right now. So what Paul's doing here is he's opening up his letter to Philemon by announcing to him what his predicament is right now, which is that Christ has allowed him, has allowed Paul to be imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. In fact, if you go to Ephesians 6, Paul says that he's an ambassador in chains for boldly proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. And Paul is a dude that has spent some time in the big house. 
He spent a little time in the slammer for his boldness, for living out the love and the reconciliation that God had produced in him through Christ. But I want us to get a little bit of the sense here as we open up this letter of the ministry that God has given Paul. I mean, here's the thing, man. This is a guy that is in prison, right? This is a brother who is completely immobile, but yet his ministry and his call, what God called him to, it hasn't ground to a halt. I mean, this brother's still going after other brothers, writing letters, doing the work of the gospel. Here's the thing. We've, we've probably, all of us have defaulted to redefining mission to mean one thing or another. Which, again, kind of like what we just did today, which is, man, we're, we're sending a team to a place like Romania to share and spread the gospel, right? And, and, and while we should, that should be part of our mission. That should be one of the things that we do and that we engage in as people who are eager to spread the gospel. You guys following me on that? But at the same time, all of us are called to be on mission exactly in the place that God has placed us. So that's why we like to talk about what's going on here at Substance as being a missional work. Now, we want to be on mission in regards to every aspect of our everyday lives. And that's what Paul is drilling into as he's writing this letter, as he's opening this letter to Philemon. Notice that Paul doesn't identify himself as merely a prisoner. He says, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. And what's interesting about that for us is we talk about God's love being in us, which is basically saying who we now have become in Christ. What's interesting about that is where Paul was didn't affect who Paul was. And Paul lived from that truth. He lived from the identity that he now had in Christ. So if you are a follower of Christ, man, that's, that's the unwritten, invisible title at the end of your job, life profile, follower of Christ. I'm a waiter for Jesus Christ. I'm not. I'm just giving you an example. I'm a waiter for Jesus Christ. I'm a business owner for Jesus Christ. I'm a manager for Jesus Christ. I'm a stay-at-home mom for Jesus Christ. I'm a medical professional for Jesus Christ. I'm a mechanic for Jesus Christ. Listen, whatever you Whatever you do for labor, all right, whatever you do for labor has been redeemed by God's labor in you, all right? Whatever we do for labor has been redeemed by God's labor in us. There's no just anymore. Once you now have become saved and you are now a follower of Christ, there is no just before the title of the thing that you do in your life. You're not just a construction worker anymore. You're not just a machinist anymore. You're not just a graphic artist. Did I cover everybody's vocation yet? I mean, I'm, I can just keep going. I don't, I'm running out of ideas. All that you are vocationally is attached to Jesus Christ relationally. That's what's going on with who you are in accordance to what you do. Now, listen, don't, don't hear me saying some things right now. All right. Don't hear me telling you that you need to stand up in your lunchroom and start shouting out scripture verses while praying nobody hurts you. All right, that's not, that's not the kind of boldness and living outedness that we're talking about. I'm saying when Jesus saved you, he began a work in you that changes the work that comes out of you. And we don't have to despair about that because it's a slow work. It's a work in progress, but it's a work. 
It's something that is happening. Because everyone here who knows Christ is casting a reflection of Christ. That's what you see when you see Paul saying, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It meant that in that place, he was casting a reflection of the Christ that was in him. The love of Christ that was in him. And maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you never thought of it that deeply. Or maybe you've just had a slanted view of that. Or maybe maybe you don't understand the love of Christ that is in you. But look at how how Paul views Philemon. He views him, he calls him out as a fellow worker. And then he calls Archippus there as a fellow soldier. And so the imagery here at the very beginning of the letter is of people engaged in both the workplace and the battlefield of pursuing people and proclaiming Christ. So Paul praises them for being who they are, where they are, which in their case was a house church. That's what Philemon was doing. He's leading a house church. So we go big on identity to set up everything we're saying today because you act out of who you believe you are. And one of our problems is, is we forget who we are in Christ. We still look at ourselves vocationally. And then we add that Christ thing way later when it's convenient, when it works for us. And when we can do it without any embarrassment or shame or at any cost to us. But we see Paul saying, prisoner of Jesus Christ with my fellow worker Philemon and my fellow soldier Archippus. And here's what's interesting about identity. When the primary way you identify yourself is with your vocation, with your values, with your family, with your hobbies, with your sports, political, marital, or ministry status... If that's the thing that you most closely identify with, it shortchanges the impact God's given you to actually have in those areas. You will inevitably fall back to making those things about you rather than being a blessing in those areas because of Christ in you. So are you guys tracking with me in that? What we're talking about here is Christ in us, the love of Christ in us being lived out of us in all the different ways that Christ has given us and gifted us to do that. I mean, man, it would just be weird if I stood up here every week and gave you a science lecture and horribly boring, unless you're a scientist and you're like, I wish you'd get a little more scientific up there, you know? I mean, it would be weird if you showed up at a law firm and the lawyers were just sitting out on the front in the grass selling lemonade. You're like, brothers, I need some advice. I don't need lemonade. Why aren't you being who you are? It would just be weird. And then when we get to verse 3, Paul reminds them of the grace and the peace that they've received from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we look at greetings like that and we just think, well, that's just how Paul talked, right? You know, dear so-and-so, grace and peace to you. But there's something more interesting happening there if we really unpack what grace and peace to this church, to this man that Paul's writing to, there's something more impactful happening there if we decide to unpack a little bit. Because see, as soon as we talk about being on mission, we start thinking, I don't have the goods. I'm not equipped. I don't have the goods. I lack biblical knowledge. I lack courage. I lack opportunity. I lack. I lack. So let's not argue. Most of that's probably true. Most of that's probably absolutely true. So let's narrow it down to what you don't lack. All right? 
What you don't lack, number one, is fear. Got a lot of that. We all have a lot of fear when it comes to being on mission in the place that God has placed us. That's there in spades, brothers and sisters. It's it's there in me. The other thing that we don't lack, which is how Paul is greeting Philemon, is we don't lack grace and peace. We don't lack the grace and peace of God, which fortifies our faith and provides us with the tools in our spiritual tool belt to bless others with gospel love, which is what we're talking about today. So you see the way Paul opens up his gracious letter to Philemon. You see what he packs in there as a reminder to let Philemon know of everything that he's been given in Christ is the same things that's been given to Paul. They are together for the gospel. That's what's happening. Verse four, let's pick it up. Paul says this, he goes, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Verse 7, he says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That's where we're going to stop for the day. So we have God's love in us, which is based on who we now have become in Christ. And then we have God's love through us, which is who we bless in Christ. And that's the effect of God's love in you and through you, right? And so what we see here, if we're to unpack this and break this down, is we see that Philemon's love produced gratefulness in Paul. Paul's saying, I thank the Lord for you. So this love, this lived out love that Philemon had, it produced gratefulness in Paul. And then we see that Philemon's faith produced generosity to his people. So Philemon's faith was not just this dormant, in the quarter, isolationist, just leave me alone. Jesus is my homeboy, but I want to keep it to myself. No, no, he lived out the faith through generosity to the people that God had given him. And Paul's just like calling it out. He's like, brother, you're doing it. And then thirdly, Philemon's love and faith, it refreshed the saints. So the effect of that generosity, the effect of living out of that love and faith, what did it do? What kind of effect did it have on the hearts of the people in his church? Well, it says that it says that he refreshed them. It refreshed the hearts of the saints. You know, it's interesting because as Americans, man, we're we're just known for buying and building things that we don't use, huh? I mean, all of us probably have like garages and gyms, like stuff that we had a bunch of good intentions of grabbing, building and using and like never happened once. Like there's just sitting there. We have all these brand new, you know, intact items in our house. We have gym equipment, patio furniture. Come to my house. You're going to see like a couple of bikes, you know, some people have pools, you know, they've just been sitting there, you know, they're, they're turning green, you know, you don't know there's water in there anymore. There's all those things. Here's what's interesting is we fill our lives with useful things that we don't use. It's amazing. The love of God, on the other hand, the love of God in you is meant to go through you to produce something. It's meant to be utilized. It's meant to be used. It's meant for other people to benefit from it. It's meant to produce a knowledge 
and a refreshment in others when it's something that is pouring out of you. And the opportunities to bless and refresh others, like some of us just think, well, man, I don't know. I mean, are there opportunities to do that? I mean, they, they're literally just like bobble heading up and down before your eyes in this church alone. And we're a small church. I mean, look at a Friday night. You know, these ladies put together a craft night that was a way of pouring out their love for the saints. And when we look at that, it refreshes our hearts, doesn't it? It refreshes our souls. You know what? It doesn't just like give us happy thoughts when we go to bed that night. You know what it does? It reminds us that Jesus Christ is working in the hearts of sinful people to open themselves up to the generosity of Christ to the rest of the church. And baby, that just does something to me. That does something good to me. That does something good to me. That refreshes my soul. That provides air inside of me. Because there are opportunities. And I think a lot of us think that because we lack so much that we've missed the opportunities. Or the opportunities are there, but they don't apply to us. Or we are fearful to dive into those opportunities. You know, Melissa and I, we got real brave last August, man. We went out, you know, it's still hot out. And we went out and bought all this cross-country, like, ski equipment, you know, because we're, we're getting older and we're feeling brave. And uh, we've used it approximately one time this winter because it snowed like one time this, this winter. So we, we tried, and uh, we, we didn't quite have the opportunity that we were hoping for because there was no opportunity to use our gear. That's legit. That's legit. But we have unceasing opportunities to refresh people by living out the love of God in the context of not only the place God has put us, but also the church God has placed us. It's what Paul is praising Philemon for. So here's a question. Are you a refreshing presence in other people's lives? What does the refreshing of the saints look like exactly? Well, here's one way to to sort of determine that and to look at that. Think back on the times that brothers and sisters have refreshed you. Which, by the way, now hear me, which is not something you shouldn't hope or expect to receive. Paul did. We're going to see that next week. Paul expected to receive some refreshment from the love of people that he had poured his love and time into. So that's how the church body functions with one another. Paul even mentions this in 1 Timothy. He mentions it in Romans. He says, I've been refreshed by the love that I've received from some of the saints. Man, I can think back to times that some of you have refreshed me to a level that you didn't have an idea you did. You didn't even know you were doing this. I remember, gosh, this was about a year ago. I remember uh, Melissa and I had just had just a horrendous breakdown uh, with our daughter, who uh, is a little bit older now, lives in Denver. This was a few years ago. And man, we just had one of those nights we'd like to forget where, you know, words are spoken and the anger, everything's rising to the surface. And we are just sitting there like in, in the remains and in the ruins of battle. That's how it felt. We get a knock on the door about five minutes later after the dust has kind of cleared. And we got Casey and Kelly Cook standing there holding Dairy Queen. I mean, it's Dairy Queen. I mean, did that, I mean, did that peanut buster parfait, I mean, did that thing fix all my problems? I'm not going to lie to you. It felt like it did in the moment when I was taking that thing down. I mean, it actually did. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But, but no, it was, 
it was the kindness of them stopping in saying, I don't know, we were just out driving around and we thought maybe it would be nice if we dropped this off. Do you, do you see how the spirit was working in them to reduce that level of generosity? They didn't know what just happened. You know, it's not like we set up speakers outside of the house and mic'd up our fight so that everyone heard. I mean, they, they just dropped that off because they're brothers that care about us. They're sisters that care about us. And all we could do is stand there and, and hold the bag and, and say, and look at each other in the eye and go, I, I don't know what to do with this other than it's breaking me down. It's causing me to cry. It's causing me to see the love of Christ lived out and displayed. And it's something we still talk about to this day. It was ice cream. It was ice cream. I remember Scott Allen. This was a week ago. Scott Allen sends me this text. I mean, he had no idea the moment he sent at which he sent me this text. And all it was was a text of encouragement. He said, brother, I really appreciate some of the things you've done. Appreciate one of the sermons you preached or whatever it was. And I'm reading this and Scott has no idea that it's just breaking me down inside and that what it did at that moment was that it just refreshed my soul. It reminded me of the love of Christ because I need reminders of the love of Christ and I'm going to get those most tangibly through you and you're going to get those most tangibly through each other. That's how God created the church to operate for us to love one another so that we know the other person loves us, so that we can just develop these great relationships together, so that we can just have a bunch of new BFFs that we didn't previously have. Yeah, but primarily it's so that we get a sweeter, more beautiful, more full view picture of the love of Christ. Because that's the footprint that's being left in our lives when people are living it out to us. So what are some ways that we can refresh one another. Wouldn't you love it to be said of you that you were someone that refreshed the hearts of the saints? What an amazing thing to be told. What are some ways that you can do that? Well, let's just talk about that. Let's, let's list some ways that we, that we can be a refreshment to our brothers and sisters. Number one, I think you can pray. I think we can pray for one another. Not only that, but we can tell brothers and sisters that we're praying for them. Like, if you don't tell me you're praying for me, it has a little bit less impact in my life. It still works. I'm not saying it doesn't work. It's prayer, right? But I like to know that you are so that I can have that level of encouragement. You know, we can pray for one another. We can open our homes to one another. When's the last time you invited somebody over for a bite, for a cup of coffee, just to sit down and chat? Man, that's what Philemon did. He had a house church. He opened up his church. He showed hospitality. We can lend hands to people. Right now, all of you guys know somebody that needs help. Everybody in this church needs help with something right now. We can lend a hand. We can send encouraging texts. What a, what a, what a small trifle thing to do that Scott did to me last week. And it was a moment that the Lord knew I needed. And it was like a breath of air for me. What about preparing somebody a meal, man? You guys have done that a lot. That's really made an impact in some people's lives. It's been a great thing to prepare meals. What about helping somebody out financially? I mean, sometimes we come out a little short, you know, in the month. Some of us have unforeseen expenses that come our way. You know, you get into a community group, you find somebody's a little strapped, and we can help people out financially. How about just taking an interest in somebody? How about going after somebody? How about sitting down with somebody for a cup of coffee and not talk about yourself the whole time? How about asking some questions to people? 
How about forgetting about yourself for a minute and say, I want to know how you're doing. It doesn't matter how I'm doing right now. I want to know how you're doing right now. How about babysitting? We've got a lot of babies just happening right now. You know, that's, I'm just going to phrase it like that. We've got a lot of babies happening right now. How about babysitting? How about giving a couple a night off so that they can go out and remember that they once knew each other? How about that? What an amazing thing to do to refresh somebody. How about sharing your story with somebody? How about taking a few minutes, grabbing somebody, getting some lunch, and telling them about what you've been through and what God's taken you through and what God continues to do in your lives as a way to encourage them in their own story? How about refusing to gossip? How about connecting with people and saying, you know, we're just not going to talk about those annoying people. Yeah. We're not going to talk about those people that are struggling because somehow it makes us feel better about the ways that we're not. How about refusing to gossip? How about refusing to listen to gossip? How about going out of your way to try to relieve some burdens? Some people that have some tasks that they just can't get to. You saying, hey, why don't I come in and help you out with that? How about just giving somebody a hug? How about quit being so formal with people? How about just giving somebody a hug? How about on Saturday night, sitting down and making a list of three people that you're going to go after on Sunday? You know, like we have this cafe thing, you guys know that we do. Um, That was designed as a way for us to not just eat, but to actually spend time with one another, to encourage one another, to ask people how they're doing. And to form relationships out of that love that you can pour out to another brother or sister. This is simply living out the love of Christ that lives in you. And you know what's interesting? The effect is twofold. The effect is twofold. You refresh the people you love directly and you provide comfort and joy to those watching from a distance. It's an amazing thing. You should know this about me. Okay? Know this about me. When I hear how one of you has shown hospitality and love and is living out their faith to other brothers and sisters, I don't know that there's anything in my life that gives me the same level of comfort and joy, just like Paul's talking about right here. He's talking to Philemon. He's going, brother, when I hear the way you've refreshed the hearts of the saints, it gives me such great comfort and joy. And it's the same with me. I'm not of the Apostle Paul, but it gives me great comfort and great joy when I hear the stories about the way that you guys are going after one another. And you're sharing those burdens and you're blessing other people. I love seeing that because what it is, it's, it's this vivid, unobscured view of the gospel. That's what it is. That's what it is for me. You know, you probably wouldn't know it when you see me lead worship, but I, I have a background in the music industry. Um, writing and producing, uh, you know, artists and musicians. Now, when I talk about artists and musicians, we're not talking about an incredibly sensible or rational group of people, okay? When we talk about artists and musicians in general, all right? There's a reason why you think when you read the songs of David in the Psalms that even though you're afraid to say it, this is probably a dude of which the term drama queen was coined, All right. When you read the Psalms, just get a picture of that. You'll understand what I'm saying. But one of the interesting things, one of the first things new new musicians do 
uh, when they, when they want to become a singer-songwriter, or they form a band with some guys or girls, the first thing they do is record what's called a demo. In the old days, you would say demo tape. Now it's a demo, which means they pay way too much money to go into a studio to record three to four songs of their own material, all right? Now, nine times out of ten, and I say this from experience, there's this inevitable depression that sets in after artists record their demo. And it's because they think that somehow, the minute they walk out of the studio, they should be playing a sold-out show in progressive field. All right? Again, it's that sensible lack of rationale thing that I talked about earlier. All right? But here's the, here's the sitch. Nobody's heard the music. Nobody's heard the music. They are still in sole possession of their music. Just because they recorded it doesn't mean that now the whole world is able to feed off it, listen to it, buy it, and enjoy it. They still possess it. It's not something that's gone out of them other than now it exists in some digital domain that hasn't yet gotten out to the public. They're still in sole possession of it. That's like some of you. Do you realize that? That's like some of you here today. That's like some of you that have come to faith in Christ. You are still in sole possession of your faith. The problem with that is that I should be benefiting from your love and from your faith in Christ. The problem with that is everybody sitting in these chairs should be benefiting from your love and your faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? There's risk involved with that. There's risk involved with that. There's risk involved when you live out Christ's love to others. And we know that because we know what happened to Jesus. Didn't end so well for Jesus, did it? The way his love was poured out for those he came to save, it ended on the cross. It ended in him dying, just like it ends with us dying to ourselves. So that our love, which makes up the identity of who we are in Christ, can be relinquished to others. Do you guys track with me on that? That's what it leads to. It led there with Jesus. Why would it not lead there with us? There's risk involved. I mean, do you think that Philemon wasn't experiencing the pain that comes with loving and serving other Christians? I mean, do you think everything was puppy dogs and ice cream with this brother? You think he wasn't dealing with people who got offended? You think he wasn't dealing with people who were throwing hissy fits, who misunderstood the things he said, who were difficult to talk to, who always put up walls, who made everything complicated? I'm trying not to look at any of you in the eye singularly. Some of you need to step out in the faith that you have and believe the gospel that has saved you. There was risk the minute Jesus saved you and you found a church home. When we are resolutely not living out the love of Christ in us, there is an unbelief in us that is screaming the love of Christ is not worth it. That's what's going on. When you have decided to take the love of Christ and hold it as tightly as you can and not let others benefit from it, 
you are in a sense saying the love of Christ is not worth it in my life. The love of Christ is not worth this level of discomfort. The love of Christ is not worth being rejected. Go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to close here. Because what's interesting is that loving one another is how, is one of the ways how we are assured of God's love for us. 1 John chapter 3, 16. You guys there? He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Verse 18, he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So let's be active. Let's live out that love. And let's do everything we can to make sure that that love in us is being lived out in the truth that informs it. All right? Then he goes on to say this, by this, we know that we are of the truth and 